TikTok has been criticized very much in the past, being not open enough for creators to make money on that. This is not fixing it, but they actually now are partnering with media publishers and companies to publish content first on TikTok. Scientists are now making slightly sweaty robot fingers with human skin. Technology will not pave the way to the metaverse, and there should be some kind of rethinking and redefining aspects of life if we, if we want to transfer them from the real life into the metaverse. Amazon gets closer to their real-life um, MVP of drone deliveries. NASA didn't change or like updated their spacesuits for outside spacewalks or whatever in over 40 years. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode 27 of the Tech Review. Every two weeks we gather to discuss the hottest topics in science, technology and innovation. And today, very new on camera 5, we have Dan. On camera 4, we have Chris. On camera 3, we have Vincent. On camera 2, this is Henrike. And on camera 1, hi, this is me, I'm Tarek. If you like what you'll see here in our session, then of course you can follow us directly on our websites Ideas Engineering IO and Free Tech Academy, and of course on our many social media <laughs> on our many social media websites. Uh, you can find the links down in the description or in the show notes, depending on if you are listening to us or if you are watching us. And now, without any further delay, let's jump into the news. Uh, today we start with Henrike. Wow, not expected that. <laughs> <laughs> Chance one of, of one to uh, four, right? Yeah, yeah. But hey, why not? Um, <laughs> so first topic today is the new COO of Meta that I brought to this round. Um, you probably have heard of it. It's like a two weeks old news um, that I almost miss due to our TechCon bubble that we've been into on our LinkedIn, etc. Um, but Sheryl Sandberg um, announced that she's stepping down as the COO after 14 years, which is uh, quite a news itself, um, at least for the outside world, uh, because inside um, Meta, they were not really surprised um, since she already was less involved in the in the ads business that she actually built uh, during her legacy. Um, the new guy will be Ravier Olivian. I don't know if I pronounced this name right. Um, who is not completely replacing her, which is the interesting fact. He will act as COO, but as uh, Mark Zuckerberg puts it, in a more traditional way, so more internally um, focused, um, more operational, and not being like such an outspoken uh, or like extrovert, external spokesperson as Sheryl Sandberg was. Um, so this is quite uh, interesting because she was representing Meta a lot next to Mark Zuckerberg. At least in the beginning, it was also said that she had quite a quite an influence also in challenging him and also challenging his decisions, etc. Um, also to the outside world. But now it's um, this also became less and less over the past years, to be honest. And it's also said that she was not always agreeing with him anymore uh, internally and she also um, said that to internal sources so this all together is quite 
an interesting fact that now she's stepping down and the next one will be like more of the Mark Zuckerberg guys and focusing on internal stuff and probably not really, um, yeah, challenge him in, in what he does um, in general. Um, so he's now on the top again, alone again for this whole corporate, basically. So this is um, an interesting development, I'd say. Yeah, I'm not used anymore to news that are not regarding directly the metaverse. <laughs> not directly, no. I'd love to know how good uh, Javier and Mark are, uh, because Cheryl and Mark are, like were really close. I read, and there were even like conspiracy theories about them having like a, a secret relationship or some kind of an affair or anything like that. I don't know. Uh, I mean. We will never know. I, I highly doubt it, but that's my personal opinion. I just would love to know because uh, we already heard a lot about Mark Zuckerberg being like a very straightforward leader. And to be frank, I, I don't know. I It always felt to me like he's not really keen on having himself or decisions he's making challenged or being challenged by anybody beneath him. And so I'd be very interested to to know more about how he and his new COO are actually how close they are because um to me it felt like the chair was one of the only ones who really were allowed to well challenge whatever whatever he did yeah that's really actually that, yeah exactly like that i mean the new guy he is not a newbie he's also for over 10 years with with meta and and um, already in high senior roles um, for quite some time. So um, it's not, he probably is on a really like on an operational level already close to Mark Zuckerberg in that regard. Um, but when it comes to management and to uh, yeah, management decisions, you're totally right. It was so far probably only Cheryl really who could um, be like on an eye to eye level with him. But also that decreased over the past years, basically. So she, I don't know if you guys have read the Facebook book An Ugly Truth, which came out last year. Really, really good can highly recommend um, because in this article they just touch upon that very briefly um, but in this book you also get a clearer picture of her not being uh, or not agreeing with a lot of decisions that he made um, due to all these scandals we had with Meta in the past 10-12 years um, so this kind of also um, showed how, like how her influence probably was not as big as it seemed on the one hand, but also she less and less kind of agreed and probably from her side tried to act upon certain things and just now, I mean, decided to leave because after all, she probably was like, whatever should I do now? It's uh, I, I, it's enough <laughs> so to say, I don't know. But um, yeah, still it's quite... I'm also curious to see how this changes also in the outside appearance because she had a lot of the scandalous decisions that he takes. She was the one had to deal with it in interviews and on panel discussions and on talks and etc. Um, so this is gone now. So will he do it? Like Zuckerberg? Now he has to kind of. Yeah, it's a good question because I think he was quite invisible, right? Um, I think the article said that um, he he's there for a long, long time. And um, what was it, like 14 years, right? 
Um, but now he's in a very visible role and so it's pretty likely that he's been forced to step in front of a camera once or once in a while. Although it's said like not with more on the internal focus, like the yeah. new guy. He is probably still with focused internally okay, and okay. Alpha Roots. always yeah. still is a big role. I mean CEO, yeah. I mean uh, you could argue in a lot of companies COOs are actually running the show. So yeah, he's um, in the we'll spotlight see. if he wants or not. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but but as as you said, it's an internal role, right? So um, to put it in a nutshell, Mark Zuckerberg now is the one and only having all the power in his hands, and the other guy, he's just doing the boring stuff. So just to put it in a well uh, less diplomatic way, and. Um, I think this is exactly what he wanted, right? So I think this seems to be quite clear. Now he's the one outstanding. He's the one and only like uh, taking all the decisions and uh, having all those interviews then. And the only interesting question is um, what kind of decisions will he will he take? Where will it lead the company? And this actually um, fits to the discussions we had before regarding meta and um, the new course in the, into the metaverse it's a 50 50 thing right so um either it works out then he will be top of the pop he will be the king in class or if the whole metaverse thing does not work out then facebook will not be the same as it has been before it's not even now the same as it has been before but then it will be something totally different and apparently um probably something much smaller than it is now yeah, and it's. I'd love so, to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to run this too much because I know we have to go on. But uh, I, uh, I love to know. I didn't bring the article because we have this two articles per person rule currently. But <laughs> uh, Meta is, has postponed postponed a lot of stuff just yesterday, I think, or the day before, something like that. And I'd love to know like how much he was involved there um, already. Well, that's a good question to see if. Because this, um, yeah, I did bring the article, so let's not talk about it. But still, yeah. but I'm yeah, wondering if, is, Ma- sorry, no, go on. If if Mark is really stepping up into into the spotlight, because if you look at the interviews he gave before, the good ones are rehearsed, and you can see that. Because every time he gets question asked questions, which are where he has to improvise, you see him struggle. And I'm really wondering if he he's willing up to step up and go into the spotlight and be the face for the company solely or if there's not another person coming up in the future taking this spot for him or if he really I mean, does himself Adam a Moss favor already. if he does it i mean due to the reasons you just mentioned yeah, yeah. but everybody loves mark <laughs> okay vincent i mean they have if you say so. they have the head of, <laughs> i mean meta has this head of instagram who is very like one of the only guys who can speak, I think, without Mark's approval, I've heard. Um, he has a lot of, yeah, he has does Q&A on his Instagram and I follow him. And you know, during the whole ad and uh, data privacy thing, um, he actually was one of the only ones to speak out. So we'll, we'll see what's happening tomorrow to him as well. I see, I see. Um, other big platforms, social media platforms, TikTok, and they launched a subscription service, um, which is very, very interesting because TikTok has been criticized very much in the past, being not open enough for creators to make money on that. And I mean, this is not fixing it, but they actually now are partnering, obviously, with media publishers and companies to publish content first on TikTok. And that is very interesting. So right now there is a comedy show and the two first episodes will be streamed on TikTok for free. 
free and then there is and then you have to subscribe i think it's like 3.99 or 4.99 a month 4.99 yeah and you can subscribe right on tiktok so and that is very interesting because on the one hand it gives the kind of like the the torch for like the responsibility for monetization back to the user which i find very hard like not good uh because monetizing through users is one thing but on the other hand, we experience social media to be more or less for free. Content creators con create content that should be more or less for free. Like in the current world, of course, this could change. Looking, for example, in the media subscription business. Um, but then again, this is also something very different. But still, TikTok not raising any creators funds or anything, but just launching new features that people can monetize via followers directly. And this makes TikTok, that's the final take uh, on this, makes TikTok even more a competitor for entertainment platforms because as we spoke, have spoken about this before here in this tech review, um, TikTok is not as much a competitor to Snapchat, for example, or to even Instagram and Facebook maybe than it is to YouTube and Disney and Netflix and Prime. I mean, if anybody actually watches Prime, but um, it is a big competitor because it shows that TikTok is much more in the entertainment game and making money through entertainment than it is uh, through uh, or than it is in the social platform game. I know you could also argue otherwise, but uh, in my opinion, uh, the first one is true. Yeah, but still, um, I mean, on the one hand, it's great to see that they uh, fight hard. Um, to stay alive and to monetize themselves. But if I think about the target group and the people who are primarily um, on TikTok, which is very young people, the question is if they are actually willing to enter this additional tier of entertainment because TikTok already is great and is already very entertaining. And if they uh, create this um, reliability on this new tier of paid content, it might become very hard because I personally, I'm not sure if I would actually pay for a subscription on TikTok because it's already so full of amazing content. And I hope that they don't go into this direction of reducing the the ability of browsing the content for free. I, I don't know how, but uh, they 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 might want to create more incentives to go in there by I don't know reducing the the for you page to only a couple of entries per day or something like this. Make this like a pay up um, service, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to uh, excited <laughs> to see about uh, this new structure. The the screenshot that we see here is in landscape format. This is irritating because I would assume that content of on on TikTok will all be in in portrait mode, right? Very good, uh, very good remark. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would assume it is in lens. It is not in landscape um, due to the fact that. I mean, we know that TikTok sometimes gives landscape content less visibility because they don't want to do that, just as Snapchat does, just as Reels does. But yeah, something interesting to find out. I think that uh, maybe these $4.99 you pay are more gamified than we used to experience in the past, right? I mean, I would never buy something on Instagram via the Instagram uh, purchase thing where I type in my credit card information. But then again, on the other hand, I mean, we see creators thrive through the ridiculous live stickers that you can buy. And I don't know how people between 14 and 
20 are buying these. Maybe it's a 90% share of 18 to 20 year olds, but I mean, I don't know how they do it, but it's happening and it's successful. So to me, it feels like their TikTok is right about that there is a market of underage people with the credit cards of their parents um, (laughs) paying for that. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's nothing, they don't force it on you. It is just something that you can use. And we'll, we'll see. But if it is successful, yeah, I, I, I bet that we'll see more of that also from the company TikTok side. I, I wonder if I understand that right. Uh, this four ninety nine is to subscribe to one series, right? One comedy series. Yes. And that way it reminds me exactly. way more of Patreon than of YouTube or of, of uh, Netflix or something like this, where you have a subscription, you buy everything. And it's way more like you have this one content creator you really like, you want to support and maybe it's even more like twitch just not like i mean what i think that what i think why tiktok did it this way is number one they're really harshly criticized for not supporting their creators and making money on the platform and number two tiktok is known to be free i mean it used to be known to be account free i mean think back at that time and therefore i think that tiktok now is testing the waters for okay are people willing to pay for this and right now it is great because it's just for creators but if creators start to use that on a more regular basis obviously the number of subscriptions will stagnate at one point because nobody will pay i mean i don't know how many patreon subscriptions you have or only fan subscription or whatever i have one and and therefore yeah, yeah, it's on exact. It's my own. Yeah, you can find me there. <laughs> it's new. <laughs> no, I mean, I I support one YouTuber and I would never do more. But if they see that there are more people using it and actually people would be more interested and then they find out that it is like just the price that is they're hesitating on. I'm sure we will see something like a plus side. I think that's why they did it that but really, way. Like the, the price, I mean, four ninety nine for one, like one of those series, eight 30 minute episodes is so freaking expensive compared to what you get for four ninety nine on Netflix or whatever streaming service. So this is quite a plus, quite interesting. Yes. Um, and then also, I wonder how, I don't know if you know that, but how do they include that in the randomized feed of videos you get on on TikTok? Because you cannot start then with episode three, like you need to get them kind of from in the right order and uh, probably also be able to decide whether or not you want to watch it now, like how they want to include that in the structure based on whether you subscribed or not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. so often. Yeah when you go through you can see a little bit of the content you bought and then there comes the next video no just kidding i'm sorry <laughs> yeah I, I could imagine that if what they, i can answer though yeah please. sorry no go ahead no no you go ahead i just wanted to uh, like speculate that it's probably decoupled from the for you page and it's not maybe like teased in, in for you pages but if you have multiple subscriptions they must include something like a subscribe tab or so so that you can go in there and see your paid content like uh, which is coupled with your account yeah i can uh what i what i can <laughs> Sorry. i just wanted to say that they have like three features for the monetization feed uh, that they introduce generally without connect, being connected to that show, which is batches, friend uh, communication. So you can only, like just on Patreon, you can only write somebody if you're friends with them. And then uh, there's something else I forgot, but I'm sure they, it sounds like they're going to do it the friends 
section. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, I'm just curious to see how they do it. Probably that makes most sense. And also if users then will uh, adapt to it because it, it requires a different use, usage behavior um, than it you normally is on, on TikTok. Um, so yeah, just we'll see. Okay, next up is me. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, scientists are now making slightly sweaty robot fingers with human skin. And this is, wait for it. Something that reminds me of uh, <laughs> some movies, especially because uh, we we always speculate how, how long it will take until we actually reach the stage. And first I wanted to say, uh, about this article ah it's living skin at least it's not human skin but then when i uh, was scrolling through the, this article they actually use human cells and human skin cells uh, to start this this growing um and the idea here is that creating more lifelike humanoids um at least according to the researchers would be um amazing for people to interact with um, in a more natural way in, in nursing homes and in the service industry, because right now we see robots and we are kind of scared of robots. Uh, but they, the, the scientists say if these robots are human-like, then it's great, then, then we like them, then we trust them, independent from this uncanny valley if they are kind of human yeah and um one quote is that they say i believe that living skin is the ultimate the ultimate option for giving robots this appearance and the feel of uh, living animals because this is the first thing that we touch or that that we experience um and in this case they literally have human skin um it does not feel like our skin they say it's it's like it's very moist because they have to keep it moist right now otherwise it will um like break and um uh rip um but they really make it natural by moving the finger for example while i make this gesture <laughs> moving the finger while they are growing the skin so that you get uh, all these naturally looking wrinkles uh, on on this finger so it they they literally grow the skin. It's not attached or it's not uh, sawn into this this finger, but literally they have this coverage and these real tissue and this grows over the f the finger and it actually uh, heals if it gets um, hurt or damaged. It, it heals like real skin. Um, and they say they also work on robotic faces that are covered with skin, but one step at a time. Um, but yeah, it really. Um, reminded me of uh, yeah the movie Terminator because back then it was yeah just science fiction that we said uh, it's a android with human skin and now we are actually building this and I really love that uh, in the past we talked about the creating the matrix as a real simulation where human brain tissue is connected to now we have human skin on androids so yeah <laughs> that's what we humans are building <laughs> any thoughts on that <laughs> yeah it's a little bit like with many other technologies we are discussing here right so we are really at very very early stages and um, <clears throat> very often we discuss like uh, vr glasses mixed reality glasses uh, and we come to the conclusion that we are actually quite early and i think even with this one we are even earlier right so like having um sweaty glitchy fingers uh, the idea of those 
robot guys touching me with this ugh, is really creepy. And um, you, you, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, who really wants that? So, and then the second thing is, you, you mentioned that this is just for fingers. This and this seems to be a really big effort. I mean, if you, the whole thing only makes sense if you really have robots then covered as a whole, the whole body with this um, artificial or non-artificial tissue and and skin and everything. And then it might make sense, um, but only if it really feels like human skin i mean if it's wet and sweaty you wouldn't like that right you wouldn't like also humans um, sweating a lot so that's um, more or less disgusting it would be the same or even even worse with uh, with robots and then you also mentioned the uncanny uncanny valley effect so this is also something that came to my mind directly i mean you have a robot there if he looks like a robot then you know it's a robot if you have an avatar he looks like an avatar and uh, then then you see okay this is artificial but if you have like um, an avatar there are lots of um, examples where you put like digital pictures upon their faces then they look more like the person but only 95 percent and the last five percent which is missing so although it looks natural it is not natural the behavior is not natural and that makes the thing uncanny valley that makes it creepy and i could imagine it's even worse with with robots if you have a robot underneath more or less human skin and he behaves like this and then has this human skin Ugh. i wouldn't have that in my baddest dreams wouldn't like to have that and and i definitely would not like to have that in my bedroom helping me uh, out of my bed when i'm some years older yeah i always have the feeling that um it does not really matter what we people think uh, science and technology will evolve into this direction if we want it or not um yeah <laughs> I think and, you will, but it takes time yeah and it, I it's think true you will find in sci-fi quite a lot of uh enemies which have these kind of thoughts a machine covered by human flesh right uh, i think you can go really really dark with this yeah but yeah. i'm not surprised that this research comes from japan when you have their demographic in mind and the forecast on their workforce that they're really trying to look into ways to get robots going and taking over a human work um <laughs> to to stay relevant in the next 50 years right um Apart from that, I think the technology is amazing. Um, just the, the capability that you can merge human skin tissue with um, artificial components brings you to really interesting parts. For example, you don't have to think about whole androids walking around, but imagine you lose your hand and you can get a robotic hand which is actually covered like Luke Skywalker's hand with artificial skin, with your own skin. Uh, it's just the bone and the ligaments are basically replaced or you need to remove the knee or whatever and we just can merge this so close together that it actually works that the skin is, is working on on the metal surfaces and that is very impressive i think yeah i think this is probably the most valuable field uh, on where to use this like on prosthetics but when we think about robotics i always think that um, attaching human properties to robots is as far as I think, not always a good thing. Yeah? And we always talk about what about the general artificial intelligence and we want to have robots that are as intelligent as humans. But this means forgetting things or being lazy or making conscious decisions 
which might might be decisions that we are not okay with. But this is part of being generally intelligent, right? And having a, a robot. I mean, imagine the robot has really complete human skin with nerve endings. Does this mean that the robot feels pain? And don't we build robots to do things that we can't do because we feel pain and robots don't, right? And so having a robot with too many human properties is probably not what we want. There's like a minefield and this minefield needs to be cleared. And I sent in the robot and the robot says, no, I don't want to because there are mines. <laughs> go, go do it yourself. <laughs> I'm not paid enough for this job. I assume that next to nursery, there are probably a few um, economical sectors who would love to have an Android with real human skin, which you can program and do whatever you want with. Yeah, but but I'm not sure if the human skin is actually making this difference. I mean, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I, I've never met one. But <laughs> will he also have like body odor to be more human? Isn't it more a UX question? Uh, sure, sure. Like, how do you interact with it when it feels like real skin? Because it is real skin. Yeah. Doesn't mean does the does the Android need to feel pain, or is it just for us important that it feels like a human? Yeah, but but it could simulate. <laughs> I don't need it to actually suffering. Okay, <laughs> enough horror. Chris, where's the headline? Yeah, which one is it? Yeah, it's a good question. It did not. Okay, I have to put it put it from here. I guess it's this one. For some reason, it's not displayed here. But I guess it's this. Yeah, yeah, this one. Yeah, I liked it a lot. That was a LinkedIn post I found uh, last week and um, it reminded me of um, the article which Alex once brought um, talking about fully automized farms, right? And and this is, um, as we can see it, see it here, an experiment with the drones um, picking apples from, uh, from the trees. And uh, if you actually have that in big amounts with a big size big number of um, of drones and uh, and cars actually then you could really like pick up the apples from big fields and it would look similar like or a little bit like this um might be also an interesting development for the future so um yeah as said reminded me a little bit of the of the article from, uh, I think it was John Deere, where they had this AI optimized farms. And also this is one component which might get into the same direction, optimized farms based on AI drones in this case, but a similar principle. Right, I, I always wonder why things like working on a field is not uh, more optimized. Uh, there's always the story of um, whenever the, um, the farming season starts and uh, like thousands of guest workers are migrating to um, to the fields to collect like vegetables and, and things. And I don't want to make all of these people uh, bring them out of their jobs, but it feels like an army of drones flying through the fields and collecting stuff would be way more um, yeah, suitable <laughs> for the task. Yeah, but it's probably yeah. more expensive. On the yeah exactly on the other hand so I when I saw that I also thought well I mean you have you have seen how long it takes for one drone actually to pick one apple and put it into the box and everything and um, then I was thinking okay so it also takes some energy actually to do so they are not that quick um, then maybe the battery would not hold that long 
then you also need somebody actually to to change um, the, the the energy supply and everything and this then for a lot of drones so um it, from my point of view the whole thing as far as i got it is in experimental state right uh, so this is not something which you can, can just buy at the next Bauhaus and then put onto your farm or everything so, um, but I thought the idea is interesting. And of course, it has an ethical aspect or an economic aspect, depends on your perspective, um, exactly the point you mentioned, right? So that, of course, um, some people actually who did that last year on the fields would not have a job next year. Also something um, that should be considered. Yeah, we and might have... What I can add... Um, okay, who wants to go, go first? first. Please go. <laughs> Enrique, come. No, you go first. I said so much already about the middle yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I just wanted you, you to go comment. First. Like now, imagine these have like human skin, and then they have, get scratches and stuff as well while picking and and harvesting uh, the stuff. Um, it's also then not really beneficial, probably. So, just wanted to make that circle back. I, I I wanted to make the circle back as well and say that I've heard from some farmers that actually they need skin. <laughs> Uh, those uh, robots are not skin, but they told me that that the human touch is that they can, for example, for more de for delicate fruits like blueberries, for example, uh, they can't be harvested automatic automatically currently because you have to because it's less about seeing and more about touching the fruit and then you can pull them out of the earth and therefore with skin. <laughs> Yeah, I see. So, got it. Then we are waiting for the androids with very delicate fingers, with uh, having sen sensory fingertips, so that they can work as sweaty. work on all the <laughs> just <laughs> just for the blueberries. Sweaty. I don't know about coconuts. Yeah, who knows? Yeah? <laughs> the day they work on the fields, and in the evenings uh, they do the social services. <laughs> that delicate fingers, yeah. <laughs> Sweaty, delicate thing. Ah, come on. So, <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for the robot uh, who has very bad bo body odor um, as a feature so that we can feel more uh, comfortable next to them because they are then very human. Would we feel more comfortable if they have really bad? I don't know. I mean, that's the theory, right? We are building humans, uh, robots more human-like and uh, smelling is kind of human-like. But I would wish for this feature just on demand. So if you go into a train <laughs> and you don't have a seat that you can press a button oh, and you I get see, one. I, see. I, I thought you meant like... I would feel more comfortable if it's a good B.O. instead of a really bad one. Uh, Alexa, set the bad odor to 9 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the guests have to leave now. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like an add-on. You have to pay extra for this. Okay, Dan. All right. I, I think I brought an article from a bit of a different part of the tech world. I, I'm curious. Anybody of you played Diablo and when it was released? One or two? A one. All right. <laughs> I'm that old. <laughs> Because actually, last time you recorded this um, this podcast. Diablo Immortals got released and it's basically a mobile version of this game and currently there's a big discussion going on because they implemented a very interesting way to pay for better character an interesting way for microtransactions and some YouTuber calculated that through and figured out if you really want to have a maxed character you need to spend probably around 100,000 euros I think yeah euros I think um, 
you can do that by just playing the game and then you're done probably between eight and ten years um so there's like both ways to go and at the moment there's this discussion going on about okay how do you monetize these kind of experience because it's a free-to-play game it's quite a big mobile game it has 3.5 gigabytes of size so it's for a mobile game it's huge uh you can play it on on your pc um and actually what they're doing is they you can't buy extra weapons or anything of this kind what you basically can buy is an improvement of better loot so that you might when you do a certain run get better loot which then kind of you have together and then to upgrade and upgrade again and upgrade again and the question they raise in this article is also how many of how many players really want to have a maxed out character and how many are just happy that they can play for free and have like a mid or low tier character and just enjoy the game and how many of these players are really willing to spend like a hundred thousand euros and how should we monetize these games better and this is a question i wanted to bring into this group just to ask you what you think what is a good way to monetize it yeah should it be just cosmetic (laughs) weekly payments stuff like that yeah i think (laughs) the most incredible thing is uh, what we learned from fortnite right because fortnite is completely free to play and they have no mechanics in there where you can actually improve your gameplay with uh, with bought add-ons. But they make so much money simply with cosmetic stuff. And I, I always thought that this would be the new gold standard for monetizing um, entertainment con- uh, content. And um, when I think about back to World of Warcraft where these... Chinese, um, I don't, I'm not sure how, how you call this, a gold miners, like where they were mi- farming or mining like uh, um, currency in-game and then selling this on eBay or on Craigslist or somewhere um, to people who simply wanted to save time. And this reminds me uh, on, on this one here where maybe I can actually buy for $1,000 a slightly upgraded character or something like this. Yeah, and um, what I want to know is if this actually works, or if people or gamers are um, already so used to um, this pattern of only cosmetic add-ons to be paid for, um, or if this is something that actually goes through. I personally, I would not want to play a game where I have to spend money to actually be competitive in there. Yeah, but that's just my um, opinion. I. Th- I uh, I think maybe um, looking at from the well, you have to have spent 100k to be like maxed out, is maybe the wrong perspective. Maybe I think that it is more they 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 put their money on you're being sucked into this game from time to time. Like I mean, everybody knows this. You have this phase where you play something and you're pretty into it, and then after time gets boring. Um besides Fallout, that's another story. Um, but I think they're just putting the money on from time to time you buy something and then you're happy with that because you're happy that you're playing this game and you're happy that's free. But then you have this one item where you're like, nobody else has this or not nobody else, but some people don't have it. And I have it. And yeah, I, I, I spent like a few bucks on it but that's fine because i did it once or twice but i think that's what they're thinking they're thinking that some people are getting it from time to time because it gives them like this extra top on satisfaction but it gives that to them because it's the exclusivity 
because everybody else plays for free and doesn't have the item. I, that's my bet. And I think that's the right way we should go with this because yeah, this is like paying with joy. N not that I would, I'm a gamer or I would ever spend money on games or whatever, but exactly what you said, Vincent. And I think if like they would now send you a bill like a hundred thousand and you get it, then probably no one would do it. But over time, always little by little, you have these success uh, moments uh, and, and feeling good about what you get for those little payments. In the end, nobody has any kind of overview of how much they spend in total over the time. So if it then turns out to be 100K, probably they're like fine with it or don't care or whatever. It's just uh, they, they don't feel the... Hopefully they're not in depth afterwards, but they don't feel the that they spent so much money on it um, because over the duration of times and then it's they will do it I'm, I'm pretty sure it will work out yeah or they simply want to include something like a metric for um, for evaluating the worth that your time is uh, so if you play for half a year and then you can calculate oh this time that I spent there is actually uh, worth eight thousand dollars so if I were being paid for this then i would get eight thousand dollars and now i feel good that i spent so much time in the game might also be this could also be um a possibility actually to engage like um the plain uh, play to earn uh, gamers right so that um actually those guys play the game so they are engaged into the game um and then they um achieve all those those features of this one character and then later on they sell it maybe a little bit cheaper than um, you would uh, buy it for the normal price within the game and um, might be also a way with such high prices um, to appeal to people who maybe would not go into into games like these play to earn gamers but now where you have like attractive prices and attractive high value characters um, it might be an option for them as well and so they might actually in the end so to say uh, uh, make their their uh, their reach a little bit uh, stronger and um, yeah just just wider yeah I, I think I agree to, to to what you say when you see like 48 hours after the game was released at a million downloads four days ago they had 10 million downloads and I'm, I'm really curious how it plays out for them in the long run, because now they have this huge amount of publicity, this shitstorm going on. But I'm really curious how they, they will evolve the game over the next few years, because they're dedicated to keep this running for as long as it generates money. Right. And I assume that will work really well for them. As it didn't as work it... for Elder Scrolls, though. <laughs> Look at Elder Scrolls. They had so much money going on there and so much like they produced such a decent game didn't work out okay and and it's also part of culture right when you look into the asian market gaming market for example it's totally normal to have pay to win games and that you pay to be good and in europe and the us it's very unlikely that you have success with such a game right but yeah okay yeah let's jump to nasa Ooh, me again Yay! <laughs> so that's the space topic for today. Um, that I also found uh, really uh, mind-blowing because NASA not just outsourced the, the spacesuit development to, to private companies. So we have the discussion again, um, private companies being 
quicker and probably less expensive than the agencies, um, hopefully in that regard. But also the fact that NASA didn't change or like updated their spacesuits for like um, outside spacewalks or whatever in over 40 years <laughs> is really mind blowing. If you think of the diversity of missions they performed over this duration of time, also it's not um, adaptable in, in sizes or um, really tailored for women, which also increase um, during those missions. So reading this, although I kind of knew about it, but reading this again was kind of what what the hell, actually. And um, also NASA works on the new spacesuit also since 2007. They already like spent millions and millions of dollars on it. They had a prototype type um there you can see the picture um revealed i think in 2019 um but they did not they assumed that to finish it to really have it ready would cost another billion dollar <laughs> and so that's why they decided to outsource it now to the private companies uh, axiom space and uh collins aerospace who also already have prototypes in place and now will continue the work um, also together with NASA and with their learnings, etc. But yeah, this um, this is basically the news because they need a new um, suit anyway for the lunar um, explorations in a couple of years. Um, so the 2024 deadline, I mean, neither Artemis nor the um, spacesuit development will, will reach that uh, deadline anyways, but even if it's 2025 or later, they need a new spacesuit. Uh, that's a fact. And um, now it's uh, curious to see how quickly these two can uh, really finish uh, the new version and how much it then costs for them in total compared to what NASA already spent in the past 14, 15 years. What's, um, what scares yeah. me here is um, that it sounds like, uh, yeah, let's outsource this task because private companies are better in cutting costs and uh, getting things done quickly. And uh, if something goes wrong, we have someone to blame. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say that because, yeah, they're better at doing it quickly, but they still have to meet the... Um, the requirements and like especially the safety requirements which are really high and you know like really strict when it comes to human uh, space exploration so they cannot go around that um but yeah being quicker in like the r&d and decision making probably at this point um try and uh, try and fa fail kind of attitude and and getting quicker to the end result than the agencies can because too many stakeholders and uh, politicians uh, and stuff like that are involved in the whole process yeah um yeah and maybe the private industry uh finds out that even style is a matter uh, for selling those suits and maybe then we have the first generation of spacesuits designed by armani right <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of style, I also um, immediately thought about the new, like the not so new anymore, SpaceX spacesuits for their uh, Dragon, um, the, the indoor uh, missions, um, because Elon Musk also last year when this whole discussion started actually said like, yeah, SpaceX can do it. We can help NASA because you have problems. We can do it. But now it's actually Axiom Space and uh, Collins Aerospace who got the, um, yeah got the order i uh, i just wanted to ask uh, about spacex suit why can't they just upgrade the one that they have i mean it should i mean it's not for proper outside missions i get that it's an indoor suit but um yeah i mean different to all other companies i mean spacex is flying to space regularly so they would kind of benefit from that because i'm sure being asked SpaceX would, of course, take on outside operations as well, I guess. And I'm pretty sure they're working on that because, I mean, they're planning their Mars missions and they probably already yeah. working on creating super stylish, fancy spacesuits for their Mars missions, also then walking on Mars and stuff like that. Um, and probably also for walking on... They're working Moon. on a base, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they're probably doing that as well, but NASA now just didn't decide it for them to so that to do it together so to say so nasa was like okay well if we don't finish this suit in time we'll just take the ones from apollo to walk on the moon (laughs) or what exactly was the vibe there i mean not not i don't want to be wrong but shouldn't be shouldn't we be on our way to mars uh to moon just like on a very old schedule isn't that like the time now so what are yeah like, what the hell, guys? It's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to add. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, that's a, a very good slogan. So uh, it's intentional that we are wearing these old suits because it's uh, like retro, right? We are, we are going to the moon. And so, yeah, that's that's not that's a real look Apollo at, sticker. Look at the I'm, Coke I'm logo. It's also retro. <laughs> yeah, it's not made for women. It's not adaptable in size, not flexible at all. But it's retro. So let's go for it. Right. Vincent. Oh, yeah. So six minutes left. I'm going to do that quick. Uh, I just wanted to bring the WWDC here as well, because I think it's worth mentioning that Apple now released their new MacBook Airs. Everybody's been waiting on. They're not in the colors everybody has been expecting, but who knows? Maybe they upgrade them. They're on board. They have the M2 chip. The M2 chip is better than the N1, especially in the terms of graphics. It's still not an M1 Pro or M1 Max, but obviously that would be kind of dumb because, well, I mean, they want to sell their more um, more expensive products. And I mean, the M1 Pro and M1 Max, especially Max, and then everything beyond uh, are much more powerful. So it wouldn't make sense in a MacBook Air. However, what I find very interesting is that they also upgraded the base MacBook Pro, which is kind of confusing because I figure why upgrade the MacBook Pro? It has a bit more RAM but it's still very, very, very similar to the MacBook Air. So I don't really get why why do that. Why not take it out of the lineup or do something entirely different, like crazy, whatever. Here's a design that we always been thinking about, but we never were bold enough to do it. So <laughs> for the two people who buy this, have fun. Yeah, but besides that, also WDC was very interesting for software, uh, especially for Apple CarPlay. Uh, which I am very keen on, as you know. Um, So Apple CarPlay is something that they're working on with, for example, BMW or Audi or a lot of other 
uh, non-German manufacturers I'm not going to name. And they're working on a deep integration of Apple CarPlay in the car, showing like the whole dashboard being designed by Apple. And that's very interesting because it shows, again, how much a car becomes software. And that's why I'm bringing this today, because I can see we can see that everywhere that manufacturers are working on software. I mean, look at Volkswagen actually bundling all software things together and just by bringing all software companies already existing inside the company and we i mean we're all pretty sure that the Volkswagen software is not the best on earth but still they're bringing this together and like just by that they're like four thousand people in one unit so a lot of people are working on this and this shows this even more and then there's a lot of other stuff i mean i can't even mention all but ios 16 is very interesting to see uh they bring a lot of desktop functionalities to the ipad os which is also really great and i think it's just apple does this really nice summarizing stuff i would have talked about this actually much longer but since we don't have a lot of time uh, i'm just saying that there is this video apple always does like key takeaways from wwdc and all the other keynotes and it's actually quite fun looking at this because again it shows where Apple is going and uh, well, at least me, I don't know about all of you guys, but at least me being like 100% in their ecosystem besides the HomePod, which is not good. Um, yeah, uh, taking me with them. Vincent, we have a question uh, in the chat from Omnitech and they ask, since you guys are from Europe, is it true that they are forcing Apple to make USB-C iPhones? There's something that you can answer. This is something I can answer. Yes, uh, the EU just uh, settled on a one adapter only thing uh, for Europe, and it is USB-C as the standard, and that is messing up with Apple's plans because obviously Apple has Lightning. So now you got to know that Lightning is a product of Apple because USB-C wasn't ready. Apple wanted to integrate USB-C as the charger for all products, but they couldn't because USB-C wasn't ready and they had Thunderbolt, but it wasn't performant enough. So they integrated Thun uh, Thunderbolt. No, sorry, not Lightning. They integrated Lightning. Um, and that is now a problem for Apple because, um, well, all manufacturers have to adapt to this up until 2024, which is kind of okay. Um, and Apple has them in a lot of products, but looking at their mobile uh, sector, that creates a big problem for Apple. And not because they have to change the adapter, because looking at 3.5 millimeter audio adapter, that obviously would would be fixable with a with just some adapter they put at least for one generation within the phone and then it's, it's fine. But this creates another much bigger problem for Apple because as we all know, Apple was ready to jump from lightning to contactless. Uh, they introduced it with the iPhone X. Uh, they have it in all the other products, or a lot of them. And therefore, the next logical step for Apple is to jump from Lightning to contactless. We don't know when this will happen, but this is definitely the next step in order to make iPhones safer, better produce, and well, more more stylish. This is a question you you know we, it's open to answer. However, up until now, there was no jurisdiction for adapters at all. And now there is jurisdiction. So now this creates not the problem for Apple that they have to add another adapter. That's not a problem. The problem is that there is a jurisdiction now for adapters in general, which means that when Apple is ready to jump to contact us, this could create a problem because there's jurisdiction saying that they have to include USB-C. That wasn't existent, wasn't exist before. And therefore, this could not be a problem for Apple because they have to spend a, a bit of you know, of their money on adapters, it's a problem because it destroys their product strategy for the next decade. 
Yeah, Europe says, says so. <laughs> big, big topic. <laughs> Great. Europe Thanks, so. OmniTech, for your question. <laughs> we are always happy to answer them. Okay, time is almost up. We can make like a lightning round for the uh, last three articles. Maybe this is something that we actually should uh, include, something like a lightning round, uh, 30 seconds, summary, and uh, no discussion. Yeah, and mine, uh, maybe mine, mine, my article is not so much for discussion, but I think everybody needs to know this, um, because Ethereum actually gets its new update soon, and we are talking for a very long time about Ethereum 2.0, which will be based on proof of stake, and this version is now rolled out um, on uh, one of the the old test networks, uh, the Robston te test network of Ethereum. And um, they are planning to roll out um, Ethereum or the so-called Ethereum 2.0 version um, in August this year. And this is so exciting because from my perspective, um, the old generation of blockchains like Ethereum and Bitcoin are basically doomed as long as they work on proof of work because this is step-by-step step being um, forbidden in several countries because it, it wastes so much um, energy. And so seeing a powerful network like Ethereum Uh, with with the capability of smart contracts actually being able to compete again, this is really really amazing and will change a lot also on the uh, on the NFT uh, market. And so I really really hope that this rollout will will be um, successful. And starting August, uh, we will see a new generation of Ethereum. And that's it. <laughs> Lightning news about Ethereum. Okay. Then we have uh, Chris. 303, see other. What? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a big one. So um, maybe I just take that to the next tech review and we'll just give a little bit of a sneak preview right now. Um, this actually adds on to one of the articles we had uh, in the last tech review where um, we saw that technology alone will not pave the way um, for true ownership of digital assets, that uh, is what we had last time. So um, the outcome was that technology will not pave the way to the metaverse and there should be some kind of rethinking and redefining aspects of life if we, if we want to transfer them from the real life into the metaverse. So uh, the outcome was that um, property law actually in the real world is not the same as it is in, in the metaverse, in the digital world. And this article deals with a similar aspect, right? This is also um, about something which comes from the digital world. Artificial intelligence um, is being used uh, to, to create numerous inventions. And by doing so, it's breaking patent law. And um, This is really some kind of a big challenge for this kind of law um, since it has various impl impl uh, implications and we really should like maybe discuss about that uh, next tech review for five minutes. Um, but it shows one thing that um, also here a rethinking in this term or in this, in this uh, context, uh, rethinking of some kind of law patent law is very important to make the whole idea of artificial intelligence patents and um, having artificial intelligence making uh, inventions becomes real or actually it is real but becomes so to say sustainable but as said let's put that as a little sneak preview into the next tech review right and then we have Dan yeah I, I wanted to bring this article because 
it's like the next step to a dystopy or utopy depending on your personal point of view but uh, Amazon gets closer to their real-life um, MVP of drone deliveries and they're currently working with the American uh, aerial FAA to get all the certificates and if they if it's done and works then they can start I think in the end of the year to ship products uh, via drone and they have like one city where they want to start and it reminded me so much of a patent they filed in 2016 where they're looking into how can we build warehouses which are flying and which then are connected to drones and that got me like just I want, just wanted to share this this outlook into the future of having huge balloons flying through our skies with hundreds of drones delivering things of everyday need and yeah wanted to know what you think about this but i think for a 30 second uh, introduction that's enough right but yeah, we, we can also take that into the next tech review because it is a very interesting discussion we had that more than once uh, here in in this round and um indeed it, it it raises up questions right so if drone delivery is useful at all um, and what are the use cases for like drone delivery things for everyday life might not be the best use cases for that to be honest so um yeah there's potential for discussion yeah i, I my mind was gorillas and if i forget forget to buy nutella that i can order nutella in 30 seconds and get it delivered to the window of my kitchen just via a drone right nutella but, uh, airstrike yeah. <laughs> okay but the yeah but then let's discuss about probably. this next time and then has a reason to come back to this round right exactly yeah love to yes and, and especially Great. especially when we when it comes to utopy versus dystopy i think we have uh, a lot of opinions that can, we can throw into this room <laughs> right but thank you so much for all the amazing articles it was a pleasure again and i'm so um, thrilled that we actually have international audience that's that that throws in uh, questions in the chat and uh, for the next time i think i will add like a widget on this dashboard that shows uh, the chat in real time and so we can see people actually throwing in the questions or maybe even participate in in uh, the discussion right so amazing i'm going to do that yeah and that that's it for episode 20 or maybe the yeah. update logo hmm? Oh yeah, right, right. Sorry about this. It it got lost say, again. Maybe because, the update logo. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. I, I got it got lost again because uh, last time I was on a different computer and so I did not transfer this uh, to the new one. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I will add it again. Yeah, and uh, so for everyone, uh, thanks for joining, and we will see you in two weeks from now in episode twenty-eight. No, not exactly, because then we, we will have um, we, we will uh, mostly be blocked, and so we will probably move it one day, maybe to the Monday. But uh, yeah, if you're subscribed to our channel, you will be notified. See you then. Bye. 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 If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that, we here at Tech Review want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope this new episode was valuable for you and if it was, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to us right now. Share this episode with others who could also like it. Do you have a topic that you'd like to see covered in future episodes? Don't hesitate to tell us in the comments or on social media. We hope you'll be back for the next episode.